My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. She was an older woman in her 80s, and she took over the missions uh, board at her church. And she was convicted and convinced that they needed to participate in church world services blanket ministry. Now, I don't know if you know about this blanket ministry. They make sturdy wool blankets. And whenever there's a disaster all over the world, they send hundreds of thousands of these blankets. These blankets can be used for warmth. So she came in from the back of the church, wrapped up like a little match girl from a from a um, Hans Christian Andage story and, and shivered her way to the front of the church. And then she demonstrated that you could use it for shelter, that some people had no luggage and they would put all their belongings in the blanket and tie it up like Huck Finwood and put it on the end of the stick and carry all their belongings. If there was a disaster, they could wear it as a garment. But most importantly, she said, this blanket says hope. Somebody cared enough to donate this blanket halfway around the world to give you hope that there's more than this. Jesus impacted somebody's lives so much that they want to impact your life. So, if you've got nothing to do this afternoon, go on the Church World Service website and donate $10 for a blanket to be sent around the world. Not the point of the sermon, but I want you to get thinking in that direction. There's really two sets of stories in this short passage. There's the passage of the person in need, and there's, the pas- there's a passage for the people who are already blessed. I want you to hear that dichotomy. Bartimaeus definitely had a need. He was blind. And the people who were following Jesus from Jericho, and they're going from Jericho up to Jerusalem, the next story in the Gospel of Mark is the triumphal entry. Jesus has his eyes set on Jerusalem and his purpose, and the people are going with him. And Bartimaeus is interrupting that purpose. Sometimes the blessed get annoyed by the people who need to be blessed, because it takes time and energy. But I I want to go back to Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus sat outside Jericho. Now you're thinking, why would you sit outside Jericho? Well, that's where all the merchants came by and all the caravans. And his garment, you remember he threw off his garment before he ran to Jesus, was very much like that world, a church world service blanket. It was his shelter when a sandstorm or wind or rain came by. He sat on it, and chances are the front of the garment is where he collected his money. It was his home business. It was literally his home and his business. Now, some scholars believe that a beggar, an approved beggar by the elders of the town of Jericho, had an approved beggar garment. Now you say, what does that mean? Well, if Danny was my lawyer, I would expect him to show up in a suit. I want nice shiny shoes. I want a nice rich watch. That means Danny wins more cases than he loses. I want a lawyer who looks like a lawyer. 
If I'm having an emergency at home and I, I need a policeman, I don't want him to show up in polo, tennis shorts, and sneakers. I want him to look like a policeman. He's got to have his uniform on. And yes, I once wore no tie and no sweater vest to school. And Felicia looked at me. Her name really is Felicia. She is in fifth grade. She said, Dr. Madison, you are messing with the fabric of the universe. <laughs> Every job has its uniform. Well, Bartimaeus had his garment, and some scholars believe that he could only have that specific garment if the elders of Jericho had said, you are an approved beggar. We, we will let you beg because there's no other way for you to provide for yourself or your loved ones. It was his home, it was his business, and it was his identity. And when he heard that Jesus wanted to see him, what did he do? He threw off his home, his business, and his identity and went straight for Jesus. What a great step of faith that was. Because I'll tell you, the equivalent of this garment was a lifelong income. Think of it as a portable pension. Do you think it laid on the ground very long after he threw it off? Or do you think some other beggar scooped it up? William Barclay says, I want you to hear this. There are three things you cannot take back. One is a loosed arrow. One is a harsh word. And the other is a missed opportunity. Bartimaeus was not going to miss this opportunity. No matter who said no, no matter who said wait, no matter said don't bother the master now, he's on a mission Bartimaeus was going to be heard. It reminds me of a true story of Dr. Fred Collier. In World War II, Fred Collier was a student in the Army Specialized Training Corps right at the end of the war. And when the war ended, he had not yet finished his training, but he felt that he was called to be a medical doctor. He didn't really have the money to go to school and support his family, and he was in the barber shop. Remember when you used to be in the barber shop and they would magazines and you read? My barber always had the newest comic books. I think that's why every boy in town went to get their haircut. They just wanted to see what was happening with Captain America. He was reading in the magazine and he saw that Eleanor Roosevelt, who lived by herself at that time, her husband had passed, was very generous in helping people with specific needs. So he and his wife sat down and they wrote her a letter and they told her the whole story. I was being trained and the war ended. I lost my opportunity. I can't afford to go to school. And sure enough, a letter came from Eleanor Roosevelt and it had a check in it. And throughout the time that he was in medical school, checks would arrive from ministries and individuals and sometimes from Eleanor Roosevelt herself. And Eleanor Roosevelt put Dr. Frank Collier through medical school. When he finished medical school, he sent her a thank you note. And he said, I will do everything I can to pay you back. And she sent him a note. She said, that's not why I did it. When you are well off, you must help somebody else. 
Dr. Fred Collier would not be Dr. Fred Collier unless he had asked for help. The first lesson we learn from the blind man today is this. If you need help, you must reach out for help. Now, I've had some health issues lately, and I don't like to ask for help. I am a stubborn old bird sometimes. And sometimes I get the, the look. I'm getting it now. I get the look that says, why won't you ask for help? I love you. There's only two of us in the house. It's not hard to figure out that you need help. But I'm just stubborn. And some of us treat God that way. Well, I think I can fix this on our, my own. And our Heavenly Father is shaking his head at us saying, ask, ask. In fact, I remember in Matthew, it says, knock and the door shall be open to you. Seek and you shall find. Our Heavenly Father wants to help, but he wants us to acknowledge that we need help. If you're taking notes, that's point number one. There's only three in this sermon. Number one is, if you need help, ask for help. Now, number two is for the people who were shushing Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. Those who have been blessed must reach out to the needy. Hear that again. Those who have been blessed must reach out to the needy. I often think that we should have an extra offering plate on our communion table. Uh, we have an odd relationship, and I mean that and not in a bad way. We have an odd relationship with an orphanage in Africa. Sherry loves that orphanage in Africa. She's been to visit that orphanage in Africa. And to our credit, when Sherry says there is a specific need, we give to the orphanage in Africa. But you know, you know what we don't do? We don't give regularly to the orphanage in Africa. I want to put a little plate up here, and it says, and I'm sorry, Sherry, I don't remember the name of the orphanage. God's Heritage, right? And if we all, think about this, if we all said, I'll put a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars in the plate for the orphanage every week, and we sent that there every month, and they could count on that money every month, it would change the lives of people at that orphanage. Now, I'm not a deacon. I'm just the pastor. I'm not allowed to make that decision. But if I was a deacon, I would make that decision. Does that make sense? Well, it reminds me of this. There was a man named Pete Richards. And I'm sorry to say that he was a lonely and bitter man, but his life started out in a very promising way. Despite growing up in a poor family in New York, Pete Richards Pete Richards was a shining star on the basketball court. And God gave him the gift to get a full scholarship to a big Eastern University. While he was at the university, he participated in ROTC. And when Vietnam came, he was drafted as a second lieutenant. He served in Vietnam, but as can happen in war, he stepped on a landmine and lost both legs. He spent 18 months in a, in a VA hospital, and when he came home, there was no more basketball, 
No more promising career on Wall Street. And as far as he could see, no life worth living. He withdrew from his family and friends, and it was clear every day that the bitterness was eating at his soul and taking his life. Too proud to take assistance from his family, Pete became one of the hundreds of faceless men on the streets of New York City. And he found a great spot for begging just outside of St. Thomas Episcopal Church on Fifth Avenue. After all, he reasoned, these rich church growers owe me something for my time in Vietnam. One day when Pete was feeling particularly sorry for himself, a man about Pete's age stopped by the wheelchair. He said, mind if I sit down for a while? It's a free country, said Pete. Suit yourself. The stranger introduced himself as Dan Ferris. And Pete startled when he took out a, was startled when he took out a thermos of coffee and some deli sandwiches, and he offered them to the hapless man in the wheelchair. At first, Pete refused the kindness, but he was really hungry. And the food mellowed him, and so he and Dan began to talk. Pete enjoyed their conversation, and they shared their experiences about growing up in the city and college, and they had both served in Vietnam. The next day, Dan came back with more sandwiches and more coffee and slowly began to gain Pete's trust. And then Dan shared with Pete that there was this new thing on the horizon called computers and that he was training vets to code. And Dan and Pete set out for computer school. Turns out that Pete Richards turned out to be a computer genius. And today he lives a fruitful and productive life. Pete never tires of telling anyone who will listen about a man who brought him coffee and deli sandwiches that he met on Fifth Avenue, whose love gave him back his life. If you need help, you have to ask. If you're blessed, you have to help. Now, I want you to hear this. This might be the hardest part of the message. Sometimes a blessing can only come when we let go of our security blanket. Some people are too afraid to ask. Some people are too proud to ask. Some people are embarrassed to ask. Some people let their job get in the way or relationships get in the way of asking. Some people are angry. Some people are depressed. You have to be willing to throw off that security blanket and ask for help. An amusing story, and I'm sorry, I, I found all these stories that go with the sermon so well, and they're all about unique people. This is another World War II story. A man named Charlie Boswell was blinded in World War II while rescuing a buddy from a burning tank. Charlie had always been a great athlete, and he took up golf. And he was astoundingly good at it. Uh, in the short time, Charlie Boswell won the National Blind Golf Championship 16 times. And he even shot a score of 81. Now let's check. Danny, would you be happy with an 81? Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> He was so good that he was called to Fort Worth, Texas to receive the Ben Hogan Award, which is a, a prestigious award for golfers. 
he got to meet Mr. Hogan, and Mr. Hogan said, what do you want? And he said, I, I'd like to play a round of golf with you. And Mr. Hogan agreed, and Charlie said, well, would you like to play for money? And I'm sorry, yeah, Charlie, and Ben Hogan said, well, that wouldn't be fair. Charlie said, come on, Mr. Hogan, are you embarrassed to play golf, to lose? I'm sorry, my lips are not working again. Are you afraid to play a blind golfer? Mr. Hogan was competitive. He said, okay, I'll play for how much? Charlie said, $1,000 a hole. Mr. Hogan said, well, that's a lot. How many strokes do you want me to give you? Charlie said, oh, that's no problem. We'll start out even. Mr. Hogan said, Charlie, I can't do it. What would people think of me taking advantage of a blind man? Oh, don't worry, Charlie smiled. Our tea time is at midnight. <laughs> Charlie Bossel was a remarkable man that did not let his disability deter him from having a, a fulfilling life. Let's go over those three points one more time. We must reach out for help. You have to ask. Number two is the blessed must reach out for the needy. Now, let's be clear. Sometimes the blessed need help as well. So there's not really two groups of people, the people that need help and the blessed. We often move back and forth between one group and the other. But we won't know your need unless you present it to us and give people the opportunity to help. And sometimes a blessing can only come when we let go of our security blanket. Some years ago in a small town in the Midwest, a 12-year-old girl named Terry was babysitting her little brother. Terry walked outside to get the mail, and as she turned around, she saw that her house was on fire and that her baby brother was trapped inside. Terry, the 12-year-old girl, ran as fast as she could into the flaming house to find her brother trapped by a burning rafter which had fallen and pinned him to the floor. Hurriedly, Terry worked to free her brother, and she had trouble getting him loose as the flames danced around their heads. Finally, she freed him, picked him up, and quickly ran outside just as the roof of the house caved in. By this time, firemen were on the scene and the neighbors had gathered around the smoldering remains of the house. The neighbors had been too frightened to go inside or do anything to help and they were tremendously impressed with the courage of the 12-year-old girl. They congratulated her for heroic efforts. You're so brave, they said. Weren't you scared? What were you thinking when you ran into the burning house? The 12-year-old said this, I wasn't thinking about anything. I just heard my little brother crying. Let me ask you something. How long has it been? How long has it been since you heard your brother or your sister crying? And how long has it been since you stopped and did something about it? Are you in need? Jesus needs to hear it. Are you blessed? You need to share it. We need to develop our church, the Church Universal, 
that same sense that the lady had with the blanket at the St. Paul's Presbyterian Church walking down the aisle wrapped up to convince us that there are people who need to share the abundance that we have here at King's, here in this blessed country, and around the world. Amen.